0: church has been privileged uh, by the power of God to see many men um, used here in this place, but then to go out and to do great things. And uh, tonight, we get to have the uh, honor of one of them coming back and preaching to us this evening. Uh, he was here many years ago and uh, made a great impact in this fellowship, but about eight and a half years ago, uh, God called him to Colorado Springs. And he is currently the pastor of Calvary Worship Center there. The senior pastor has been preaching and ministering in that community. But tonight, he belongs to us. So would you please welcome Pastor Al Pittman. Look at you guys. Look at this. Amen. God bless you guys. Amen. Wow. Had a chance to talk to some of you before the service, and uh, this is always a special place for Norma and I because it's where God launched us out and and performed a tremendous work uh, in our lives here. And um, uh, some folks have said, Al, are you going to sing tonight? I'm not going to sing tonight, but uh, I'm going to... We're going to get into the word of God because I want to be obedient. And uh, first and foremost, I want to also thank uh, Pastor Pete. Amen. Is he doing a wonderful work in here, this church? Amen. Amen. And um, thank him. And um, uh, But a lot of the people have been saying, hey, are you going to sing? I notice they have a lot more gray hair like me. Just kind of, you know, some of us old timers here. But uh, it's good to see all of you. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a homecoming. And uh, we, we love you. And, uh, thank you for your prayers and, and also another announcement, um, tonight, my wife, uh, today is her birthday. Amen. 30 years old, man, I tell you, hallelujah. I may not be very smart, but I ain't dumb. God is good. Father, we love you tonight, and we thank you, Father, for your word, and we pray that as your word goes forth, it will accomplish that which you send it to do, Lord, be magnified within the body of your Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, please open to Colossians chapter three. Colossians chapter 3, we're going to be looking at verses 12 to 17 this evening. I've entitled this message, Garment of Perfection. Garment of Perfection. Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, he says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, Meekness, long suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you are called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell In you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. We've done that tonight. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Of course, Paul's letter to the church, the Colossian church, uh, is a letter to reinforce their love for one another, a letter to encourage them to um, be Christ-like towards one another because there was a a chance that there may be division within the church, as with many of the new churches. And it's a timely message even for us today because what we really need in the church is to make sure in our relationships that we have put on the garment of perfection. And just as we dress our outer man we also need to dress the inner man we get up in the morning or whatever and we get dressed and we we think we have our clothes on and all you go by the mirror you say man i'm looking good you know but the question is as believers we not only have to dress the outer person but we also have to make sure the inner person is also clothed with christ it's important for us to do that because we are to live out a life that's different than the world our sons, Nathan and Reggie, they're in high school now, and and they had their um, homecoming dance the other night, and boy, you should have saw them getting dressed. I think they worried about this thing for, for like three days, and finally the day came, and boy, they were dressed. And of course, you know, it's, it's dark outside. The sun's gone down. Uh, it was toward the evening, and, uh, you know, no no attire is complete unless you have the shades on. And there's no sun out, but you got to have the shades on. And then you start thinking, man, these guys, they think they're slick. And then your mind flashes back to about mm, 30 years. And um, you remember when you were getting dressed. Of course, we looked a little different, many of us, didn't we? I had an afro at the time. And you had the platform shoes and the bell bottoms. You know, you had the wide lapels, a skin-tight silk shirt so all your rippling muscles could show, you know. We looked a little different, you know, I mean, but uh, I tell you what, our generation, the generation, how many of you wore those platform shoes and all that stuff? Okay, put your hands down. Shame on you. <laughs> amen. We ought to receive a medal when we get to heaven for being a generation that endured the worst fashions ever on planet Earth. <laughs> amen. <laughs> but we wore them. Amen. Because we had to be, you know, accepted by others, you know, and all. We put on our garments, our boys put on their garments, and they looked good and went out and had a wonderful time. But but Paul gives us here a list. As believers, we also ought to put on the wardrobe of God. Clothe the inner man. As we look over the wardrobe list, if you will, in verses 12 and 13, it's pretty extensive. Put on tender mercies and kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. And I don't know about you, but I look at that list and I go, Lord, that's just too much stuff to remember. I'm trying to remember the, you know, the the, the mobile phone, I mean, the, the 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 phone on my hip and, the, you know, all these other things I've got to remember when I walk outside. The car keys, you know, you're sitting in the car, the car's not starting, you're going, there's something I've forgotten. You know, the keys, oh, go back in the house and get the keys. You know, with so many things to remember, the Lord, it's hard to remember all these things, but but Paul simplifies it for us in verse 14. As Paul says in verse 14, but above all these things, put on love. Put on love, which is the bond of perfection. You see, love is the primary wardrobe piece for every believer. In fact, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, that you can have the, speak with the tongues of men and of angels, You can say, speak to a mountain and have it moved. You can give your body even to be burned. But if you don't have love, you're improperly dressed. You are nothing. Sounding brass and clanging cymbals. For the believer, we have to be clothed in love if we're going to be of any value to the kingdom of God. It's the bond of perfection. In fact, I would go further to say that in God's eyes, even though we may walk in on a Saturday night or, or a Sunday morning for church and have all our clothes on and think we're looking good and smelling good, feeling good, if we have not taken time to clothe our hearts and our inner person with love, in God's eyes, we are naked. We are to clothe ourselves in the love of Christ. It's essential to our relationships within the body and also... In our personal relationships one-on-one. And when we talk about love, you know, the Beatles said all you need is love. The old song back in the 60s, you know, what the world needs now is love, sweet love, you know. Everybody's heard that song. It's the only thing that there's just not, there's just too little love, it said. But the love that it's speaking about here is not worldly love. Many of you know that there are three words for three Greek words for the word love, eros, which means sensual love or sexual love, phileo. You're well taught. You know what these words mean, you know, uh, to be fond of or, or to have brotherly love. And then there's agape love, and that's what Paul is speaking about here when he talks about putting on love. Not just some surface type of a garment, you know, just enough to get by, you know. That love that comes in on Sunday morning and you see someone and you, you know they you know ask you how you doing? Doing great, brother. Praise the Lord, hallelujah, God bless you. <laughs> you know the person's always inviting you over to the house because they love you so much, but they never give you their home address. <laughs> I'm not talking about that kind of love. I'm talking about a love. <laughs> Amen. Some of you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm talking about that love that it comes from God. It's a godly love. It's a godly love. It's love held in high regard, high esteem. Christ's love as it is expressed. Now listen to this. Christ's love as it is expressed between believers. You see, our love for God is measured by our love for one another. John said, you can't say that you love God and hate your brother. God's love is the bond of perfection. It is the glue of the church. People come to church for many reasons, but special interests will not hold you together. Gifts will not hold you together. Talent will not hold you together. Not even 29 points of compatibility are enough. Amen. To bring you together. Now, it may bring you together, but it is not enough to keep you together. It's that threefold cord that is not easily broken. It's the love of God wound around our relationships that really makes the difference. It's a bond only Christ's love can produce. Because it's supernatural. The attributes listed in verses 12 and 13 are a reflection of of God's grace towards you and I. God's love, His grace towards us. Think about it. When you look at the the list there, it says to put on tender mercies and kindness and humility and meekness and long suffering and all. Boy, isn't isn't that a reflection of God's love towards you? Has Jesus been tender-hearted toward you? Has Jesus been kind toward you? Has He been humble before you? Humbled Himself? Took on the form of man? Of a man and, and of the flesh and humble himself even unto the point to the point of death, the Bible tells us? Has Christ been meek with you? Has he been long suffering with you? Has he been patient with you? Has he been forbearing with you? Has he forgiven you? That list reflects God's love towards us. Not when we were cuddly and cute. Amen. But while we were yet sinners, the Bible says, Jesus Christ died for us. I want us to get a picture of the love that Paul is speaking about here. It's God's love demonstrated to us that that has been poured out into our hearts, the Bible tells us. And at the end of verse 13, Paul speaking about this love, he says, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. He describes the love of God and he describes the kind of love we ought to put on as believers. And then he says, now, take that love that has been demonstrated towards you. I'm talking about the love of Jesus, the agape love of God. And now, demonstrate that same love toward one another another, and forgive one another as God has forgiven you. Now, as I think about that, I don't know about you, but I think, Lord, that's impossible. How can I forgive as you've forgiven me? But it is possible if I have on the right attire. If I've put on love, then I'm able to love my brothers and sisters just as Jesus Christ has loved me. But I can't do it because I will it. I can do it only if I'm willing to humble myself and put on the love of God. Paul says that we're able to do it even when you have a complaint against someone else. Forgive them. Now, a word there, complaint, in the Greek means, literally means to blame. To blame others. You know, when God is convicting our hearts many times, the first thing we do is look around for somebody else to blame. You can always tell when someone's under conviction, you know, they'll start looking around for other people to blame, you know, blame their parents, they'll blame the wife or the husband or whatever is the kids, it's my job, it's my employer, it's oh, oh, is that that awful church I go to? You know, finally. <laughs> they have a complaint. They, they find it easy to complain rather than to focus on Christ. To complain means to blame. I think of Adam. We all got it honest. When the conviction of the Holy Spirit, when God came into the garden and and said, Adam, where are you? What did he do? First thing he did was blame the woman. And I love the way he said, Lord, it's kind of a sly deal. You know, sometimes how we blame God, but we kind of do it in a roundabout way. Lord, it's the woman uh, you gave me. (laughs) Come to think of it. (laughs) Sometimes we like to blame God in kind of a roundabout way, but it's the reality is that, that Adam was under conviction. And many times we are under conviction, and that's why we have the spirit of blaming others on, upon us. We have complaints about others, and rather than loving them and forgiving them, we're blaming them. I think it's always a sign that maybe there's something wrong in here rather than outside. And I go to God and say, Lord, like David, search my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. And Lord, lead me in the way everlasting. But if you have a complaint, have any complaints tonight? If you have something against one another, Paul says, in the same way that you've been loved, love one another. Now, how can we tell whether or not we are walking in this love? How can we tell whether or not we are clothed with the garment of perfection, with the bond of perfection in Christ towards one another? Paul gives us here, I believe, three evidences listed in verses 15 to 17 that you can find within the life of any believer who has indeed put on love. I want to go over those with you this evening. The first one that we find here in verse 15, Paul says, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you are called in one body and be thankful. Let the peace of God rule. Those who are willing to put on the love of God, you notice something about them. They have the peace of God in their life. They're not out trying to get somebody else, but they're walking in the peace of God. Putting on a garment of love, the garment of perfection, God's love, promotes a bond of perfection in our relationships. What's interesting is that the word translated here, or the word rule in the Greek language, is is, is an athletic term. Let the peace of God rule. An athletic term, the word rule is an athletic term, and it means to preside at the games and distribute the prizes. One uh, commentator writes this. He says that the peace of God is the umpire in our believing hearts and our churches. When we obey the will of God, we have his peace within. But when we step out of his will, even unintentionally, we lose his peace. Close quote. That's so true. God's peace is like an umpire in our relationships and within our hearts. At the same time, sometimes people have a peace, but it's more of a false peace, a false peace. I remember counseling some folks that have said to me that, you know what, I, I met this guy in, in the bar last night and he's such a wonderful guy. He he happened to have a Bible with him, and we prayed about it and we moved in together and we just have a peace about it. But it's a false peace. There are some people in the world who have a peace about where they are, but it's not a peace according to the word of God. It's a false peace. And you have to be careful that you're not living in a false peace. Well, I feel pretty good about myself. What does the word of God say about my condition and where I am? Because God's word, the spirit of God, is the umpire in my life. I've noticed something about Umpires. Watch baseball. The umpires, you know, they, the, the managers get in their face. You ever see those guys on television? They're like, these big managers are in the face. The umpire is always some short guy looking up like this, you know. And umpires in his face, they're exchanging spit, you know. They're just kind of yelling at each other. But that umpire has the trump card. He can always say, you are out here. And I don't care what the manager does, he's kicking dirt and he's, you know, he's yelling and he's waving his arms, slowly walking to the dugout (laughs) and out of the park. Why? Because the umpire has the authority on the field. And I may not agree with God's word. I may be exchanging spit and doing all of that and waving my arms and upset with what God's word says, but his word is the peace of my heart. And if I don't walk according to his word, it doesn't, I don't care if I want to change the rules, if I thought it was a ball, it was a strike or whatever, you know, still the umpire has the last word. And God's word in his presence, his peace is like that umpire in our life. And if I feel good about something, but it contradicts the word of God, then I will nullify the peace of God in my life didn't say you lost your salvation or anything like that. But your relationship and fellowship with God, that peace is gone. Even sometimes we do things unintentionally. You ever say something and whoops, it got past your lips before you could pull it back in, you know. And you knew it hurt someone's feelings and you didn't mean to do it. And you have to go back. In order to be in harmony with the Holy Spirit, you've got to go back and say, you know what, I was wrong when I said that. Please forgive me. That's the peace of God. God has given us his peace, not only to give us peace with God, but to be like an umpire in our life as well. But peace according to his word, not some worldly peace or peace based on circumstances or how I feel today, but a peace that surpasses human understanding according to the word of God. Paul says, let this peace, I'm talking the peace God has given you, the harmony that you have with the Lord, let that peace rule like an umpire in your heart if there's something that's robbing you of that peace right now then it is trying to strip you of the garment of perfection the bond of perfection which is the love of god don't allow it to do it ask god for his forgiveness or maybe you need to go to someone and ask them for forgiveness but let his peace rule if you desire to wear that garment of perfection you'll allow the peace of god to rule The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30 to 32. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by which you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender hearted. Forgiving one another just as God in Christ forgave you. I want to get a little personal here and I think I have my wife's permission, but I remember many, many, many years ago. We've been married, hey, 30 years, July 19th. We were married 30 years. Amen. Oh no, you ought to be standing up shouting and standing ovation. Somebody stay with Al Pippin for 30 years. Yeah! You know. <laughs> Pray for this woman right here. (laughs) 30 years. Awesome. God's faithfulness towards us. But shortly after we were married, and we were Christians at the time we were married, but we went through a time of separation. And uh, I remember during that time, and without getting into all the details, there was fault on both sides, but, you know, I remember praying one time uh, to the Lord. And um I had Norma on my prayer list right at the top under God Get Her. <laughs> and God began to deal with my heart. I didn't have any peace about that prayer, but I have you know, get her now, you know. And I'm sure she was praying the same thing for me. <laughs> but I remember the Lord speaking to my heart and saying, Hey Al, you got a pretty extensive list there on Norma. You're kind of listing all the things you're praying about all these things. Uh, what about your list? Uh, what list? Oh <laughs> Lord, that list. Oh the list. You you don't know, you forgave? You know the one list that you kind of <laughs> that one Lord. You you tucked away that. You know, we Lord, we don't talk about that anymore, do we? Well, if you forgive others, I'll forgive you. But if you're unwilling to forgive, then I will not forgive you. Well, Lord, you know, I I need your forgiveness. Well, then I want you to take the list and I want you to burn it. I want you to forgive her the same way I've forgiven you. You see, I was held in a, a prison of bitterness. And God wanted to set me free so that I could love my wife so that our marriage might be healed. And sometimes we're always looking for the other person to change. And we're looking for the other person to, to, to make the move or whatever. But God says, no, you be the first one who's willing to put on the garment of love. Because we came back together, God brought us back together by his grace. Not because we had worked it all out and had all the answers. Not because we had taken out all the skeletons out of the closet and examined each one on the therapist's couch, you know. And that's your skeleton. No, that's your skeleton. That's your, your, your shin bone right there. That's, your, that's yours. No, that's not yours. That's mine. No, we didn't argue about all of that. What we were willing to do to imperfect people was to put on perfect love. The bond of perfection. And when we were both willing to put on God's love, God brought a healing to our relationship. You see, folks, that's how the peace of God rules in our relationships—not because we have worked it, worked on it in some way or, or sort of put some kind of plan or scheme together, but because we are both both parties are saying, "I'm willing to put on love." And if we're willing to do that, God can heal whatever situation we may be facing. God's peace is there for us if we're first willing to put on love, and secondly. Paul says that those who are willing to put on love the garment of perfection are those who are enriched by the word of God. You have the peace of God reigning, and you also are enriched through the word of God. As we see in verse 16 where Paul says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, Singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Those who are willing to put on the garment of perfection have a love for the word of God. God's truth. They're enriched through the word of God. And Paul points out three ways in which we can detect whether or not the word of God is dwelling richly. Because some people hear the word of God, it's not dwelling within them richly, it's like the seed that fell along the, uh, the the road the hard soil that Jesus talked about in the parable of the seed. Or it's like the seed that fell into pretty good soil, but it began to grow up and was choked off because of the weeds. Some of you will hear the word of God tonight, and, and you will lose it before you get into your car to drive off. Someone hear the word of God and say, well, I was in church and that's good enough. But God wants God's, his word rather in our lives to dwell richly within us and to spring up and then to bear fruit to his glory. Is the word of God dwelling? Yes, it's dwelling, but is it dwelling richly within your life? If we put on the garment of perfection, God's love will have a love for his word and his word will dwell within us richly. Three things that Paul points out here that indicate that the word is dwelling richly. Number one, he says in verse 16 that the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. God's word is dwelling richly because we are walking according to the wisdom of God. Someone who, whose information or, 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 or uh, wisdom in life doesn't come from Dr. Phil or, or you know, some other talk show host. But it comes from the word of God. God's word is their wisdom. His word is a lamp to their feet and a light to their path. They're enlightened through the word of God. The revelation of God's truth in their life. Secondly, we're able to tell whether or not God's word is dwelling richly because we're still teachable. As Paul goes on and says, this word dwells richly in our wisdom and in teaching. In teaching, I'm here to be taught the word of God. I want to hear what the word of God, what the word of God has to say to me. I'm still teachable. The Bible tells us in Proverbs six, verse twenty three, that for the commandment is a light, is a lamp rather, and the law a light. Reproofs of instruction are the way of life. I love that verse because it tells me that you know what? We haven't arrived yet. Of course, Paul said that I have not arrived. That verse reminds me that life, all of life, is reproof and instruction. I'm still learning and growing. The day that I stop learning and growing, they ought to throw dirt in my face and plant me six feet under. Because then I've ceased to truly live. But in Christ, I'm always learning and receiving from the Lord. Whether you're 70, 80, 90 years old, 25, 20, whatever your age is, you're all, the Christian life is a life of ongoing revelation. And learning and being taught and instructed by the Lord, you grow from glory to glory through the revelation of Jesus Christ. But we're teachable. Those who wear the garment of love, they're they're saying, hey, you know, I may not know it all. They're still teachable. The third thing is that we also possess a heart of worship. The word admonish here in the Greek language literally means to put in mind to teach people by putting in their mind the Lord Jesus Christ, but also to teach them or to admonish them through worship, to put Jesus in their minds through songs, hymns, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, making melody in our hearts to the Lord. And while we sing, notice Paul says, do it with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Oh, you may not be able to carry a tune in a bucket, you know, you may not be able to sing on key, but make a joyful noise. Sing out of the grace that God has given to you. The Bible says, let the redeemed say so. Boy, you ought to be open your mouth and sing. Drive that person in front of you crazy, you know. I am mean, just go for it because the redeemed can say so. Through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. But those who who are enriched through the word of God have a new song to sing. And they sing unto the Lord. David sang to the Lord. And so we ought to sing also. Because we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. We don't sing because we deserve to sing. But we sing because we have been redeemed through the grace of God. Those who've been clothed with his love understand that. Wherever you find souls enriched by the word of God, you'll also find new songs unto the Lord. So glad to meet your new worship leader. Amen. And uh, what a blessing it is to meet him. New songs are springing forth. A new spirit of praise and worship to our God. That's just because the word of God is honored in this place. And you're enriched through the word of God. Well, the last thing Paul points out here, he tells us first and foremost, that uh, we should let those who are clothed in the garment, who are walking with this garment, are clothed or allowing peace to rule within their hearts. They're enriched through the word. And thirdly, they have a respect for the name of Christ. Evidence of the fact that they are clothed in the garment of perfection is their respect for the name of Christ. In other words, you can say it this way. There's a deep sense that all we say or do is to be associated with the name of Jesus Christ. In fact, if we permit anything into our lives that cannot be associated with the name of Jesus, it is sin. Remember, the Bible says anything that we do apart from faith is sin. Anything that I do that cannot be associated with the name of Jesus... I'd better bring it to the Lord and say, God, should I even be doing this? Because if I'm going to do everything in his name to honor him, then indeed I want to make sure that everything I do brings glory and honor to him and not shame. Verse 17, Paul says, And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 33, that, Whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father. And I believe that when we refuse to acknowledge His Lordship in everything we say or do, we're, we're denying Jesus Christ. If He is indeed my Lord and my Savior, then I want to acknowledge Him in everything that I do. didn't say I was going to get everything done right. Didn't say I wasn't going to make mistakes, but I want my life to be representative of the Lord that I serve. Everything that we say and do, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We must acknowledge His lordship in every aspect of our living, lest we deny Him before men. Luke chapter six forty six tells us that. So, in essence, you could say to put. On love, to put on love is to respect the name of Jesus Christ. Paul is speaking here to a church that they had problems much like our churches today, like many churches, conflict in relationships and all those things. But he's trying to remind them of the very fact that if you will do that one thing, put on that garment, the bond of perfection, the garment of perfection, then you can have harmony, you can have peace with God. You can have not only peace with God, but you will be enriched through God. And you will be a fellowship whereby you respect the name of God. I would say the application of the text would be this. And that is to put on love toward one another, husbands and wives in your home. It's not a matter of who wins the argument. It's really a matter of who will put on love first. In your relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ, you're you're sitting on this side of the sanctuary because that person you don't like is sitting over there, you know. And sometimes believers in the body of Christ on Sunday morning are having conflict. And it's not a matter of who's right or wrong or or whatever. It's a matter of who is willing to first put on love. Because love, the Bible says, covers a multitude of sins and faults. You see... To put on love is to liberate the soul. We are free when we put on love to forgive. We don't have to live as a prisoner any long any longer in bitterness and wrath and anger, dissension in the home, contention in the church. If we put on love, we are free to love one another and to forgive one another. And thus God is free to heal relationships between one another. Well, how do we begin? I want to share this story with you. It's a short story before I close here. but I thought it was really appropriate for how do we begin to love one another. There's an author by the name of Roger Thompson, and he writes this. He says that have you ever felt overwhelmed by the Bible's commandment to love unconditionally? When people ask me, how can I ever start to love everyone like I should? I give the same answer I give those who ask me how they can start jogging. Start slow and then get slower. Amen. For the first week, the goal is just to keep moving. Too many people buy new shoes and a fancy running suit and sprint out the door, eagerly chugging as hard as they can for about three blocks. Then their stomachs began to ache and their muscles cramp and their lungs burn. They wind up hitchhiking home exhausted and gasp. Oh, some of you have done this before? (laughs) You go hitchhike home and they gasp, I will never do that again. That's called anaerobic, running without oxygen. It, caused, it caused, It's caused, rather, by a body using up more oxygen than it takes in. Many people try to run that way, and many people try to love that way. They love with great fervor and self-sacrifice, giving 100%, but without the resources to continue for a lifetime. Down the road, they find themselves in pain, gasping and cramped, saying, I will never do that again. Love, like running, must be aerobic our output must be matched by our intake running requires oxygen and enduring love requires God's word his consolation and his presence as we love aerobically we'll build up our capacity to do more and more and pretty soon we won't be huffing and puffing for half a mile we'll be running Marathon Intake is the key. We can't give out what we have not taken in. If we're not spending time in his presence, in his peace, in his word, if we don't honor his name, then we cannot love one another with the bond of perfection. Is your outtake matching your intake or your output matching your intake? If we will spend time in his presence, we'll be able to love one another as Christ loved the church and as Jesus has loved us. Why? Because there's no fear in love. 1 John 4, verses 17 to 19 says, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him, because he first loved us. If you've been loved by Jesus first, you'll be able to love others. And that is really the key, my intake, so that I can give out that which indeed comes from God. How are we made perfect in love? By putting on the love of the one who first loved us. And My prayer for you tonight is that you indeed will put on love. That God may do even a greater work in this awesome fellowship that he has called you to. Father, we ask in the name of Jesus that you will be magnified, Lord, through love in this church. That this fellowship as it is now and will continue to be, known for its love and for the grace of God that abides in this place. Lord, may you strengthen your people to love each other. Bind them together, Lord, in these last days with that bond of perfection that cannot be broken. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.